The Jet Set Breakfast. Music, culture, lively and critical discussions on SAFM. 11 minutes past nine. She is, as I said, uh, a generalist in the diversity of work that she does. She's a multimedia journalist. She's also an entrepreneur. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of a digital pan-African publication called Afrophilia magazine. Who is she? Her name is Nobantu Modise. Nobantu, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Good morning and thank you very much for having me. Nobantu, the next 50 minutes are all yours, your guests, your songs, and of course, uh, your wisdom as well. So let's crack right in. We always ask our guest when they start off why they chose the song that they chose. Oh, I, I love this song. First of all, for just how it feels, so smooth, so easy, and it's such a beautiful tribute to the late Miriam Makeba. And yes, there have been so many to her, and this one is just so beautiful. I'm trying to just remind myself, uh, was it Msaki who just released the most extraordinary in the last year or so um, selection of tracks by, by uh, covers of Miriam Makeba? I'll have to, I'll have to put my thinking cap on. My brain is uh, freezing up on that one. Nobantu, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a second question, which we don't usually ask our guests, but I'm going to mm-hmm. start with that question for you. If you look back on the last week, what has been a cultural highlight for you with regards to the week? A uh, cultural highlight for me would be Wikimania. Yeah, uh, which is about people of different languages from all over the world um, coming together uh, about language preservation and making sure that different cultures are well represented in the digital world. So that's a that's a big one, um, and of course the the tributes to women who across who come from different cultures together to protest for women's rights. Let's crack right into the Wikimania. You are, um, in fact, a board me- a member. Of or of, of Wikipedia, the Wikipedia Foundation, if I'm not mistaken, that is correct. So the Wikimania Festival edition took place August 11th to the 14th. Tell us what was taking place around the world. Um, so, firstly, it is uh, yes, an event taking place all over the world at the same time. So it is quite the large undertaking. Uh, different country groups. Um, organize events that speak to what their priorities have been uh, in the past year that speak to what they would like to use the platform for. So, for example, I just mentioned uh, making sure that different cultures are well accounted for um, on the whole Wikiverse. Uh, so that's the, the kind of thing that's been happening. But it has part of it has been very, you can say, deep and intellectual about how we can expand uh, this idea about representation and the other part of it has been a lot of fun as the name mania suggests so there's been music there's been productions there's been um, just different examples of what you'd find online but live and experienced in person so we've made it quite balanced um, and as enjoyable event as we could make it you know what i what i i'm interested in is how you you talk about how uh, the event also focused on issues of diversity of languages, and it is something we've been talking about in the last half hour here on the show. But uh, some of the projects that we know Wikipedia and Wikimedia have been involved with are um, linked to issues of human rights, climate change, 
uh, most recently the invasion of Ukraine. Talk to us about um, some of those challenges and how they're addressed on Wikimedia and Wikipedia, actually. Yes. Um, so, first of all, accountability is just a big thing for us. Um, when you have such a, a massive engine with so many people contributing to it and everyone seeing their viewpoint as valid, um, it does require cert certain levels of processes and accountability from within the community for us to actually discuss things so that what eventually is published at the end of the day or edited um, after we've discussed it and, and, and really thrashed through it, uh, just to make sure that what comes out at the end of the day is balanced yeah. Um, and, yeah, nonpartisan at all. But it is quite a process. It's, it requires a lot of maturity from everyone. It requires everyone to be quite empathetic and considerate, and most importantly, to make sure that there are facts that are well substantiated. That's important. You, 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 as the as the spokesperson and director of communications for the Wikimedia South Africa chapter, perhaps what you could also do is explain to our listeners the difference between Wikipedia and Wikimedia. Absolutely. So Wikimedia is a foundation, international foundation, um, that is what you could use, well, in common terms, we'd say a holding company for a project like Wikipedia, which is our online encyclopedia. Okay. And then there's another project in what I call the Wikiverse, which is Commons. And Commons is where you'll find images um, of, well, anything that is related to the, the different articles that you will see on Wikipedia, and, and so on and so forth. There's Wikitravel. There's, there's, there's a lot of projects under there, but all about making sure that information is available freely. Yes, let's let's just uh, tease that out a little for our listeners. So when we talk about information being free, freely available and mm -hmm. also commons, explain those terms to our listeners. Okay, absolutely. So freely, meaning that you can go on wikipedia.com and read an article, or when you search in a search engine, mm. maybe, for example, Miriam Makeba, you will see an article just a, a link, uh, a bar on the right-hand side of your screen, which will contain pictures of Miriam Ageba. You'll see her bio, you'll see different details pertaining to her life. We make sure that when you go onto the site, everything that you read is for free. Um, you don't pay, and it's, it's all truth. edited. Ex yes, it is. And it's all edited and contributed to by people who volunteer their time for free. Brilliant. Um, which is very important to us. Yeah. Um, so that, that removes the idea of ulterior motives, etc., from the equation. And then at, usually at the bottom of every article, you will see, not usually, all the time, at the bottom of every article, <laughs> you will see uh, links to the references. So you can actually click the link and follow through to the references, you know, if you would like to double check that the facts are as we say they accounted for. Yeah. So that's what we mean by free. Literally everything free. We need to go to a break, but when we come back, I want to go back a little in time to your childhood, if I may. We're chatting to Nabantu Madisa. She is a multimedia journalist and entrepreneur. She's founded a wonderful digital pan-African publication called Afrophilia magazine. Just go online and check that one out. She's also the spokesperson and director of campaign of communications for the Wikimedia South Africa chapter, and they have been hosting a festival edition over the last uh, 
four days from the 11th to the 14th of August. But when we come back, we'll go to her childhood. The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM. Destination unknown. We're chatting to Nabantu Modise. And Nabantu, when I read that you had, in fact, um, been born in Zambia, in Lusaka, uh, as part of your parents were anti-apartheid activists and they were in political exile, I started to think a lot about Sisonke Imsamang's book um, about what it meant to be in exile as a child. It also made me think a lot about Sophia de Bruyne, who had, you know, took her children and was also in Zambia with her family um, in exile, political exile, for a period of time as well. And I wanted to just maybe get some insights from you as to what that world was like as a child. Um, it was, it's very difficult to describe, yeah. um, because it was a very unique set of circumstances. Yeah. Um, my family specifically, um, there weren't a lot of people who were allowed to know where we lived. So it was a very closed community. Um, but there was a very strong sense of community. Obviously you had these, all these people from very different backgrounds who were united by a common cause and who were living by conviction. Um, and it was a supportive environment um, in the sense that, for example, parents who were electrical engineers, like my father was, would offer that service within the community. Those who were farmers would, you know, share their produce um, and that kind of thing. So it was people looking out for each other in the most challenging of circumstances. Um, but also risking their lives together um, mm. on a daily basis and making sure that uh, certain things reached South Africa. Um, South Africa's message was carried around the world. Um, and we had to be quite protective of each other because there were times when, say, assassins were sent into the community. Um, uh, and I have a great deal of respect for all of our parents who raised us in, in that environment because they did as much as they could to shield us. Um, and allow us to be children. Yeah. But they very intelligently, and I'm not even sure how they pulled it off, had to communicate to us the the importance of discretion, um, of you know making sure that we took care of all the other kids who were with us when we were all together as children. Hmm. Um, so it was a very challenging set of circumstances that were kind of balanced together. And I often sit and think about it now. Um, like, how on earth did they do it? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, Nabantu, you talk about this this tight-knit community, but you also talk about people looking out for each other. And it, it, I suppose it raises some kind of flag for me that maybe this is something we, we've forgotten to a degree in our country at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, I mean, our country is challenging for anyone to, to make a living, irrespective of, you know, your background, your race, etc. And I know that as an entrepreneur, mm. you're really sticking your bacon out there every single yeah. day. And, and it becomes, and it's a very, in a rapidly changing world. So it's, it's very difficult sometimes to, to do what you have to do, um, but also care for those who are within your community. But it always just boils down to what you realize the priorities are. If we look at where, what we've come out of as a country as we're celebrating Women's Month, um, we came out of that because of female prisoners, um, male prisoners looking out for each other under very, very challenging circumstances. Um, so, I mean, 
unfortunately we seem to f- be forgetting the power of unity yeah uh, you know but as long as that is restored um that sense of a nation not a nation divided i think we can definitely overcome you know the dark chapters we've been experiencing um and into better you talk about the priorities. If you look at your world right now, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm being facetious, I suppose, although not actually when I call you a multi-potentialist, a generalist, a slashy. I mean, the extraordinary diversity of work that you do, in the midst of which is the entrepreneur, uh, does talk to really interesting priorities that one has to engage with. And I'm interested to know what you would consider your top priorities be as you move forward, both professionally but also personally? Mm. It, it really was a process to even get to that point, um, if I can be honest about my yeah. experience. But I definitely say creative leadership, um, yeah. sustainable business, yeah. and pan-African development. Those are the three that everything that I, I, I have been working on and look forward to working on pretty much falls under those three Let's, let's let's open those three up for our listeners. What do you mean by them? Mm-hmm. Um, so sustainable business, for example, um, I essentially am talking about projects, works, clients, where I look at sustainability holistically. Yeah. Um, these are the projects that you know really excite me. Where it's more than just about the profit; it's about the broader value that. Mm that business adds to society. So this idea that business can function with a conscience, yes. that business can and well should be a very important contributor to improving you know, life in the country. So sustainability, broadly speaking, is environmental. Um, it's about environmental consideration. But it's also about things like financial inclusion. Yes. Um, so I know a lot of people hear sustainability and think it just means green. environment, you know, green, mm. which is very important. I mean, we are in a climate emergency. Um, but it does talk about diversity, you know, because if some people are on the horse and functioning and, and business is good for them, but others are not, we have now an unequal society. And and that can breed all sorts of forms of contention, etc. Yeah. So... That's what I mean, broadly speaking, by sustainable business, a business that has a conscience. And then creative leadership. Um, when people look at the creative field, and I mean, I love um, multimedia content creation, uh, but when people look at creative leadership, people often think, be the best designer you can be, for example, which is very important. You know, One must fulfill their potential within their skill set. Um, but it also speaks to the different skills um, and inherent instincts that a designer mm. has and how that can now be applied, say, in a, in a corporate context. You know? yeah. So you have corporate people. I'm not saying corporates are not creative. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that about any, you know, anyone out there. But there's certain skills that we use as creatives that really could do a lot to, to support um, say corporate institutions or even government institutions, you know, um, it would be wonderful to have more innovation in government, you know, but that won't just fall off the sky, you know, if you incorporate more more young blood, more creative people, um, people have the ability to, to marry different disciplines, you'll start to now see something like um, innovation and governance, for example. Mm. So it's, it's about making sure that skills don't fit in silos they actually cross over to be a support to other industries and sectors in our society. 
And that's, that's the only way I see us being able to reimagine how we are living to improve things for each other. Yeah. Pan-African development, obviously. Yes. And your magazine really does talk to that as well. Yes. Thank you very much for that. Um, and Pan-African development, uh, because, you know, historically there's been so much extraction and exploitation of our continent. And one of, there's so much potential in Africa. It's, it's quite mind-boggling. And if we, I think, learn to, to see the value of what we have and harness that, and back to that idea of supporting each other, mm. we actually now begin to change things for ourselves, neighboring countries, continent as a whole. Um, but our destinies are unavoidably linked to each other, um, for better or worse. So just seeing transformation in the pan-African space, that, that excites me. That's a big, a big challenge. Well, I love that line, our destinies are unavoidably linked. And it does go back to something I'm always interested in, is this idea of how do we create a value ecosystem? I mean, as opposed Mm. to kind of a chain, which is, you know, the kind of maybe corporate speak, but like, you know, if one can start to think like that, then issues of shared value, but even beyond that, you know, multi-sector partnerships and compacting all starts to make a lot more sense. What's your second song? Love it, I have to say. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've gone for the late Miss Evora. Yes. uh, Who has such a distinctive voice, so much soul. Yeah. Um, And it's the song Angola. Uh, It's festive, it's lively, but yeah, as as she does it, so classy and so encouraging. Pan-African all the way. (laughs) Glorious, glorious tracks. Zaria Evora and Angola and... As we were all just saying in the studio, every part of her music just resonates on so many different levels. What a great choice. And that's the choice of our guest presenter, the multi-talented Nabantu Modise. And we're talking about journalism. We're talking about entrepreneurship. And uh, we're secondly going to be talking to her guests. Nabantu, your first guest today is Neliswa Ntlabatsi. And uh, we want to know, why are you singing her praises? Why have you enjoyed or invited her to uh, join us on the show? Yes, so I've chosen Nelly Swa because she does outstanding work um, in the sciences. Uh, Her research focuses on antiviral gene therapy. Um, So she was someone who stuck her neck out during COVID um, and just holistically, deeply insightful person to speak to with a very interesting range of, of interests. And I mean, STEM, for example, is something that a lot of emphasis has been played on, placed on with women involved in STEM. So she came to mind. Um, and I'm glad we could have her on with us today. Naliswa, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having me, Michelle. <laughs> Hi, Anna Bantu. So, so, so here's the thing, Naliswa, MSc in medicine, um, also historically working in a antiviral gene therapy, obviously around HIV and AIDS. And then we hear Nobantu say, you stuck your neck out during COVID. I'm interested to know how you did that and what that means. Well, uh, so at the moment, I'm actually for a scientific company where you probably use some of our products. We've made quite a lot of the QPCR tests have been used. Almost everyone has had to get tested. We've made them. We've worked with companies that have actually made mRNA vaccines for SARS-CoV-2. So uh, my role with all this is I've been facilitating when it comes to helping labs 
from different industries actually do their testing, streamline their workflows, that sort of thing. So uh, lockdown and COVID's been keeping me pretty busy. It was <laughs> a very busy time for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, Nalisa, uh, I, I was recently reading something about um, doctors and nurses again during mm. lockdown and, and just how even as they come to this period where in South Africa there seems to be shifts and changes, just how tough and difficult it has been for them. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine as a scientist like yourself, who was working mm. in a scientific company, working with you know, various different uh, of the parts of COVID and, you know, as you say, PPIs, etc. What was it like for you? Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I would say that on one hand, I'm fortunate I wasn't uh, on the front line like uh, doctors and, and nurses and other healthcare workers, but uh, on my side of things is more just try and make sure we can help everyone when it comes to getting the tests and try and make sure everyone who wants to do testing make sure they're well-equipped. These are like labs that like sprung out of from different um, aspects from like very well-established institutions to like brand new institutions, making sure people were able to provide the correct service because we were trying to make sure people were getting tested, were actually getting tested correctly, the results were reliable. So for me, it was, uh, it was I don't know, I, 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 the best I could describe it, lots of running around, lots of facilitating, lots of, making sure everyone had what they needed as they needed and done correctly. So it was a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of running around, but in a, I'd like to think in orderly fashion. In retrospect, how do you, where, where do you feel like we're at now? I mean, I, I know that people are still catching COVID and that there is mm. um, a new variation again, but mm. appa- apparently not as, as dangerous as um, certainly the earlier ones. Where do you feel we're at and where should we be going forward when we think about pandemics, uh, viruses that could shift and change so rapidly as we've seen? So at this point, I would say, because right now in South Africa, we're in our winter, Mm. um, even though the the weather makes us think otherwise, but uh, (laughs) we're in our winter and with winter other complications because we've been hyper aware of SARS-CoV-2 about being healthy, being more hygienic and whatnot, but then it's also flu season. So now we look at other respiratory um, disorders. We think of flu, influenza, anything else. So that in combination with SARS-CoV-2 could present differently. So people might still be getting sick, but in a different way. Because as you mentioned, the variants we have now are less less deadly, but they're still, uh, still around. So I would say right now we're worried about flu and how it's presented. And obviously the influenza viruses we have flu A, flu B, they're becoming a bit more um, robust. Therefore, we have to find different ways of actually identifying them. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm keen to kind of just know from both of you, because you both, Nobantu, you work in a very different world. But mm-hmm. I, I'm interested to know from each of you, what is it about one another's work that you that you respect, that you think creates that ecosystem we were talking about a little earlier, the ecosystem of value. And also, I suppose, going back to what Nabantu said earlier on in the show, is that we need to go beyond things being in silos and we need to understand um, how there is a connection and there is a, a, a link between so many different things that one often thinks is not there. Mm. So I'll start, um, I'll start with you, Nabantu. Mm. 
Um, I mean, the reason why I respect Neely Siva's work so much is the great degree of precision that goes into it. Mm. Um, they can't slack or, you know, be half-hearted about what they do. Um, and obviously everything is very detailed and, you know, there's certain processes, etc., that they follow. How that would link to people in my industry is making sure that we, on our end, are communicating the facts. Uh, reliable facts that which we get from people like Nelly Soy and her company, for example. So it's it is about yeah these two apparently uh, or on the surface uh, disconnected industries, but uh, very essential. Um, so that people are not now living in fear or they know how to deal with different situations as they present themselves. I want to go back to that reliable fact in a moment, but Nelly will cross to you. What is it about that, that, you, that there is a, a kind of connection, a value um, ecosystem where you don't operate within silos? So and that's, the first thing that comes to mind for me is definitely, the, the, as Madanti touched on, the science communication, because, because of this pandemic, this recent pandemic, people have been more aware of the sciences as a whole. It's a whole thing able to communicate what people are doing, what work we're doing to people in a correct and precise manner, so making sure there's no misinformation, people understand what we're doing, just making sure that people are more aware of what people are, what we do in the sciences, but also can trust what we do, and it's not at least being aware of all the facts, so I think people have had more discussions in the past few years versus the past few decades about vaccines and viral research in general because of the pandemic, so it's been opening a lot of people's eyes to different industries, including the sciences. You know, it's, you're so right about it opening the eyes. I was at an event, I think it was at the beginning of this year, um, in Cape Town, and I think it was Professor Dolivieri, Dolivera, um, was, was attending. There were some other major, major um, political celebrities, if one wants to call them that, um, who were there as well. But man, everybody wanted a photo. <laughs> with uh, with Dr. Dolivera. And I just thought it's so interesting how that your profession, Nalisa, has suddenly been put in the spotlight and has, has I don't want to say glamorized because I know that it's not glamorous at all. And certainly any doctor or nurse, if you read what they've had to go through, it's it's so hellish. But But you really have opened our eyes to the kind of work that you've been doing. Does it does it add value to the work? Oh, uh, I think uh, it, if anything, it makes it easier to explain what I do now because people have some context. Um, and I, I think most people I know who've gone into any form of science did it because they want to help people. And it's it's kind of endearing the fact that now people are more aware of how we can help people. So I do appreciate that. Um, as for the rising of it, I think any, any news is good news, and uh, it's great to be able to just communicate information to people in a better way, in a more understandable way. So I, I do appreciate that, definitely. <laughs> Nalise Wittenklabatsi, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time. The first guest of our guest presenter today, who is, of course, Nobantu Modise. Nobantu, um, you spoke about reliable facts and trust, and I think mm-hmm. Nalise mentioned it as well um, with regards to misinformation and the dangers of that. How does one ensure that the information is correct? How does one ensure that even if we go to Wikipedia that the information is correct? Do you have like a ton of researchers who are just going through all that information 
checking, rechecking, etc. I mean, it's a bit like a newspaper, I suppose. Exactly. Or could it's be like back- a newspaper, except for like the octuplets or the decuplets. <laughs> or <whatever. laughs> exactly. It's like back to journalism 101, uh, yeah. making sure you have multiple sources. Um, that is an absolutely essential part. I think sometimes people... Um, tend to lean towards the conspiracy theories, you know, oh, all the media, they're out to get us, the journalists don't care. And it's quite different. Um, There's a lot of hard work that goes into this, which is why a platform like Wikimedia is so grateful for the close to 300,000 volunteer editors we have around the world, um, which is incredible. And it's that, first of all, we're dealing with people who have a passion about knowledge, passion about making sure that knowledge is available freely. And secondly, we're very lucky to have uh, reliable institutional partners, uh, different galleries, libraries, uh, and when I say libraries, even university libraries. So we have quite a number of dedicated subject matter experts who are contributing to Wikipedia. Um, so I know that the question of reliability um, tends to come up more and more when you mention how many volunteers there are in the picture. But we do have subject matter experts within the community. We do make sure there are meetups. We do make sure that, you know, material is reviewed, but it has to come from a credible source. Um, I mean, otherwise, it can't be on our platform. Yeah, it's such it's, it's crazy because when I think about what you're saying, it's like the one thing about Creative Commons is that it has meant the um, democratization of news and stories and information and the like. Conversely, mm-hmm. what it has also meant is the growth in false news, fake news, etc., because of the nature of democracy, which I'm sure is a very thin line to walk. It is. It is. And that's why we make sure that there is something like a Wikimania. We yeah. make sure we review ourselves as an organization. So, for example, I touched on diversity a bit earlier. Yeah. Diversity now is a big deal for Wikipedia because there was... Um, Wikimania in Cape Town and the whole world descended upon Cape Town and as South African Wikimedians we had to say listen we need more diversity on this platform yeah. we need more African representation so it's it's a community calling itself out yes on how it has been performing um, and because we have a community of editors an article doesn't just land up on Wikipedia it's reviewed by other editors as well so it's, yeah. it's about that kind of institutional introspection um, Brilliant. And that's that's one of the ways that you fight misinformation. But it, it is true that, you know, there has been misinformation out there and it's very destructive. Um, yeah. But these are some of the ways in that we as an institution try to address that. And I know we're helping other institutions follow suit as well. Number to your second guest, Percy McCallwa, who is a legal researcher for the Ecumenical Leadership Council of South Africa. It's a Christian think tank focusing on civic education, policy advocacy, and rights advocacy. Why have you chosen Percy? Percy is someone who, I know his description says researcher, but it's actually someone who engages communities physically, mm. um, t- touching on issues like crime, touching on gender-based violence. Um, he, as a man, is very passionate about making sure that gender-based violence is addressed and that other men follow suit. Um, in holding other men accountable. So, so it was imp- important to have an ally of women, if I want to put it that way, yeah. um, who's advocating to make sure that as both genders, we are respecting each other, caring for each other, etc. And so when he works, he makes sure that there is 
you know, work that's substantiated. He does actual surveys, so it's not all based on feeling and conjecture. Um, and yeah, he, he goes through processes to make sure he does what he does. We have to go to a break, but when we come back from the break, let's introduce Percy to you, our listeners, and uh, let's find out how his week has looked when you consider the education that he's been working in policy advocacy and also rights advocacy as well.